Let's pray, please. Father, we thank you for giving us your holy word. Be with us as we open it, as we consider this vital and essential truth of the Christian faith, that scripture alone is God-breathed and has the authority of the living and true God attached to every word and everything that it says. Help us understand that and to receive its truth of faith and love. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, verses 1 through 9 is our scripture reading. And I'm going to do some introductory material, and then we're going to walk through this passage. So just keep your Bible open to Matthew 15. So Matthew 15, verses 1 through 9. This is God's word. Then some of the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. May God bless the reading of his word. Roman Catholic author John O'Brien wrote this quote. Quote, Great as is our reverence for the Bible... Reason and experience compel us to say that it alone is not a competent nor safe guide as to what we are to believe, end quote. My message to you this morning is going to be aimed at refuting every word you just heard. Our great confession of faith and our doctrinal standards are catechisms. Question two of the shorter catechism, what rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. The phrase sola scriptura, the Latin phrase sola scriptura, means scripture alone. That precious doctrine was recovered in the Reformation. It was taught in the patristic sources in the early church. It refers to the number of sources of divine revelation there are in the church today. How many sources of divine revelation exist in the church today? There is one and only one source of divine revelation, Scripture alone. Roman Catholic apologists have claimed that the doctrine of Sola Scriptura was not taught by the early Christians. I am convinced, having studied that issue a lot over the years and debated with a lot of Roman Catholics online over the years, I am convinced that all of the patristic sources, all of them, taught Sola Scriptura. I am not aware of a single church father that did not teach this, not one. No early Christians I know of believed that there were essential, God-breathed, divinely inspired truths given by God to his people outside of the pages of Scripture. I'd like you to consider just a couple of quotations. You all have heard of Athanasius. Athanasius was the great defender of the deity of Christ. He lived from AD 297 to 373. 
And he wrote this, quote, These are fountains of salvation, speaking about scripture, that they who thirst may be satisfied with the living words they contain. In these alone is proclaimed the doctrine of godliness. Let no man add to these, neither let him take aught from these. For concerning these, the Lord put to shame the Sadducees and said, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures. And he reproved the Jews, saying, Search the scriptures, for these are they which testify of me. Another early church father, Cyril of Jerusalem, who lived from 318 to 386, in his catechetical lectures. These are lectures that this man used to instruct catechumens who were candidates for baptism. 318 to 386, he wrote this, quote, For concerning the divine and holy mysteries of the faith, not even a casual statement must be delivered without the Holy Scripture. Nor must we be drawn aside by mere plausibility and artifices of speech. Listen, even to me who tell you these things, do not give ready assent unless you receive the proof of the things which I announce from the divine scriptures. For this salvation which we believe depends not on ingenious reasoning, but on demonstration of the holy scriptures. End quote. Can you imagine a pope saying that today? Not even to me. Don't even listen to me unless I prove to you from scripture what I say. I will state for the record, I have never heard a Roman Catholic theologian or apologist, past or present, accurately state what our position on Sola Scriptura is. Every representation I've ever heard them make is a misrepresentation. Every single time. I have also read the testimonies of many former Protestants who have become Roman Catholics who also did not understand the doctrine of Sola Scriptura. It is an essential and vital truth to the Christian faith. Parents, congregation, we have to know this stuff. And we have to teach it to our children, our covenant children. This morning, I want to look at four important matters. I've given you a a lengthy outline there in your bulletin. You see those four main points there, what Sola Scriptura is not, what Sola Scriptura is, the authority by which tradition is judged, and then answering comebacks to Sola Scriptura. So first, I want to go through five things that Sola Scriptura is not. Y'all need to hear this. This is very important. Number one, Sola Scriptura is not a claim that the Bible contains all knowledge. The Bible cannot help you figure out how to program the clock in your car, where you should make an incision to do an appendectomy, or how to cook lasagna. The Bible does not give us all knowledge about everything, and yet you'll hear Sola Scriptura misrepresented that way. Number two, Sola Scriptura is not a claim that the Bible even contains all religious knowledge. Opponents of Sola Scriptura misrepresent this doctrine this way constantly. For example... Roman Catholic writer Carl Keating, founder of Catholic Answers and author of the book Catholicism and Fundamentalism, he cites John 21, 25, which says, And there are many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And then Keating says this, quote, The Bible actually denies that it's a complete rule of faith. John tells us that not everything concerning Christ's work is in Scripture, John 21, 25. And Paul says that much Christian teaching is to be found in the tradition that is handed down by word of mouth, 2 Timothy 2, 2. And these things that you have heard from me, commit these to faithful men, end quote. And Carl Keating equates the fact that John tells us that not everything Jesus did was written down. He, he equates that with the idea that the Bible is not a complete rule of faith. My response to that would be, does the fact that the Bible does not record everything Jesus did mean that the Bible is not a complete rule of faith? Obviously not. Think about these questions. Do we need to know every single word that Jesus ever spoke? 
No. Do we need to know what color of clothes Jesus liked to wear or the color of his eyes? It's also rather ironic to me. Earlier in the same gospel of John, John 20, verses 30 and 31, listen to what the text says. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John himself in the Gospel of John in Scripture explicitly tells us we don't need to know everything Jesus did or said or all the signs that he did. We only need to, need to know the things that are written in that Gospel. They're written in Scripture itself to have eternal life and salvation. Okay, so Sola Scriptura is not saying we have a record of everything Jesus ever did or said or, or, or taught. Okay, number three, Sola Scriptura is not a denial of the authority of the church to teach God's truth. We're not denying that the church has the authority to do that. Opponents of Sola Scriptura often present to us what is known as the fallacy of the false dilemma. That is, presenting two options as if they're your only choices. We are told that either it's you and your Bible in the woods by yourself or you have to accept our authority. Isn't there another position that we can hold to other than those two? Okay, it's either you and your Bible in the woods by yourself, inventing and accepting your own doctrines without any teachers or any church to help you, or you have to accept some external authority. And by the way, there are thousands of groups that make that claim. Now, I, as a pastor, have the authority to preach and teach God's word and to shepherd and the session administers church discipline. But that authority is subordinate to and derived from the authority of Scripture. Pastors and teachers are gifts to Christ's church. And listen, we would be arrogant not to listen to them and not to benefit from their work. So listen, there is a real church. It has real authority. But listen, it is not an infallible authority. You can have authority without being infallible, right? Fourthly, Sola Scriptura is not a denial that the word of God at times has been spoken, has been preached. Opponents of Sola Scriptura will tell us constantly, the apostles of Christ preached the word of God, and that what they preached carried God's authority with it. But a key to our understanding is that in order to practice Sola Scriptura, don't we first have to have a Scriptura? Don't we first have to have a Bible? Prior to the completion of the New Testament, the word of God, the gospel, yes, it was preached first and it had God's authority. Remember Galatians 1, 6 through 9, we looked at that last week. The gospel that we're justified by faith in Christ alone, apart from the works of, of the law, that message was authoritative. And Paul states in scripture that if he or an angel from heaven or another apostle or anyone else preaches any other gospel, let that person be damned. God's message was authoritative when it was preached before it was all written down. Question, when Jesus was alive and preaching, was the New Testament written down yet? No. So was the gospel of Jesus Christ as found in the New Testament as we have it now, was it first preached by the apostles before it was written down? Yes. And it had authority. Here's the point. Listen, Sola Scriptura refers to the normative condition of the church after times in which new scripture is being given. So the real question is, in what form is God's word today, right now? Do we have anything from God that is, that is divinely inspired and given directly by God outside of Scripture? The answer to that is clearly, no, we don't. Okay, so the word of God was preached before it was written down. That, that goes without saying. 
Okay, and fifthly, finally, there on what Sola Scriptura is not, it's not a denial of the role of the Holy Spirit in guiding and enlightening the church. We believe the Spirit of God is sanctifying His church. The Spirit of God is, is helping the church. That's why the Council of Nicaea happened. That's why the deity of Christ was defended. That's why the Reformation happened. That was the Holy Spirit at work in people's lives and helping them understand Scripture. Okay, so let's look at what Sola Scriptura is. Those are the five misrepresentations of it. So let's look at what it actually is. Point number one. Under, under heading number two there. Sola Scriptura is that the scriptures alone are sufficient to function as the infallible rule of faith for the church. Now, folks, to understand this point, here's what you've got to get. What is the nature of scripture? What is it? Once it's clear what scripture is, Sola Scriptura is the only option for the true Christian because scripture has no equal in terms of its authority. Unless you're willing to say that the church in and of itself speaks with absolute, infallible, and a God-breathed, divinely inspired level of authority. Y'all remember the passage, 2 Timothy 3.16. Most Christians know that passage from memory. What does it say? All scripture is God-breathed, or some translate it as all scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness. Listen, please. The only thing... In the universe, that is God-breathed, the scripture. That is the only thing that exists today that can have that adjective applied to it. God-breathed. Scripture alone is God-breathed. There is nothing else that exists in the entire created universe that can have that adjective on it. The things that are said in the Bible itself about scripture are never said about tradition And they're never said about the church. The church is not God-breathed. Tradition is not God-breathed. Scripture alone is God-breathed. Scripture alone is the standard by which all teachings, writings, sermons, and opinions must be judged. Scripture is subordinate to nothing. And it may be corrected by nothing because it is the sole source of God speaking in the world today. And we accept it as God's word on the the intrinsic authority that it has. So scripture is self-authenticating. Think about that. When God speaks, could there be a higher authority than that? When God spoke to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, remember God simply speaks from heaven, go out of your father's house. I mean, could Abraham have said, how do I know that's really you? Well, you got to prove to me. You got to give me more of it. No, when God speaks, it has intrinsic binding Authority. It is self-authenticating. It depends on nothing outside of it. Its authority is self-authenticating. Think about it. If scripture actually is God's word, and when we read it, we are in fact reading the very words of the living and true God himself, then what outside of scripture could possibly validate it or, or show its authority? Like, let me give you an example. I've heard this example, and you, you've heard me use this one before. Somewhere in France right now, there is a, a piece of metal that is the meter standard. How many of you have a tape measure or a ruler that goes up all the way up to a meter? Okay, the exact length of that tape measure or ruler is based upon a piece of metal in France called the meter standard. Now here's a question. How do we know that the meter standard is a meter long? Well, uh, that's where the buck stop is, isn't it? That's where the buck stops. There's, it's the standard by which all other rulers are measured. You can't take your ruler and go measure the meter standard and say, see, it's a meter long. No, no, no. That's the, the thing that judges your ruler. 
There is no higher authority than God talking. That which is God-breathed scripture there's, is scripture, and there's only one thing that's God-breathed in the whole universe. There's only one, the Bible. Nothing outside of scripture can authorize it because God's authority is the highest authority that there is. The meter standard in France can't be measured by anything else to assure it's a meter long because it is the standard by which all other measures are judged. Because scripture alone is God-breathed, it alone is God's word, and there is no other source from which we can derive God-breathed revelation. And therefore, it's sufficient to function as the infallible rule of faith for the church because it's the only infallible rule we've got. You see the point? Okay, look at point number two there. Sola Scriptura is that everything one must believe to be a Christian is found in Scripture and in no other source. I don't need to know anything else from God other than what's in Scripture. I don't need to know anything else. This is not to say that scriptural truth can't be summarized in shorter forms such as creeds, confessions, or catechisms, but it is saying this, that nothing that is necessary for me to believe to be saved is found outside of Scripture. William Webster, a man who was raised Roman Catholic, came to know Christ. He's gone on to author some of the best books and historical works on the nature and authority of Scripture. He also wrote a book, I would recommend it to you, it's called The Church of Rome at the Bar of History. And in that book he wrote what I think is one of the greatest paragraphs written in the last century about the Bible. Listen to what Webster says here, quote, In like manner the terms sufficiency or sola scriptura sum up the overall teaching of scripture about itself. Specific scriptural descriptions of the word of God which speak of its nature and function lead us inescapably to this conclusion. The following are some of the words which tell us how God would have us regard his word. Okay, so just break from the quotation. This is what scripture tells us about itself. Listen, quote, The word of God is pure, perfect, sure, truth, eternal, forever settled in heaven. It sanctifies, it causes spiritual growth. It is God-breathed, it is authoritative, it gives wisdom unto salvation, it makes the simple wise, it is living and active, it is a guide, it is a fire, a hammer, a seed, the sword of the spirit, it gives the knowledge of God, it is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, that which produces reverence for God, it heals, makes free, illuminates, produces faith, regenerates, converts the soul, brings conviction of sin, restrains from sin, is spiritual food, is infallible, inerrant, irrevocable, it searches the heart and mind, produces life, defeats Satan, proves truth, refutes error, is holy, equips for every good work, and is the word of the living God. You think we should just stick to that then? He says, it is impossible to find a more convincing argument for the sufficiency of scripture than these descriptions. And no such language is ever used about tradition in the scriptures, end quote. Sounds pretty sufficient to me, doesn't it? If scripture alone is all those things, I don't need anything else. I don't need Prophet Fred's revelation at some Pentecostal church. I don't need to know what he thinks. I have everything I need in scripture. There's no other special revelation from God. Okay, thirdly, sola scriptura is that which is not found in scripture either directly or by necessary implication, is not binding on the Christian's conscience. If it's not in Scripture, you can't bind my conscience to it. Okay, point six of the Westminster Confession. We just recited it together. Listen. 
the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture under which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men, end quote. If it's not taught in Scripture expressly, if it's not deducible from Scripture, it cannot bind my conscience. For example, church blue laws cannot bind your conscience. If you go to a church and they tell you, we consider it a sin to play cards or to consume anything, anything fermented with alcohol in it, they have no right to do that. It's a very serious sin against God to do that, to try to bind people's consciences to things that are not in Scripture. Okay, fourthly, Sola Scriptura is, Scripture reveals those things necessary to be saved. And folks, this is the beautiful part of this. Even little kids can get this. A little child can read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 and understand how to be saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One does not need a theological education to understand the Bible. It does make sense. With the due use of ordinary means, you can understand it. Your children can understand it. And so the Bible's clear. Even a little one can get it. And fifthly, Sola Scriptura teaches that all traditions that claim authority are subject to the higher authority of Scripture. And that's where the Reformers differed with Rome. The Roman Catholic Church to this day teaches that its traditions are on equal footing with Scripture. And we say it's not the case that all traditions are bad, but Scripture's up here. Our traditions are always under the authority of Scripture and judged by Scripture. Now, hopefully you're still there in Matthew 15. I want to walk through this passage together. This is our blueprint for evaluating any claims that people make for tradition. Okay? So we're going to walk through this passage and learn from the example of the Lord Jesus when it came to the, came to the issue of extra-biblical tradition that men may try to bind our consciences to. This text of Scripture teaches many important things, but illustrates a fact that we must not miss. Listen. The blinding power of tradition... When it's accepted as divine revelation, it blinds people. And what I mean by that is this. This tradition that they're going to talk about here, it's called the Corban Rule. The Corban Rule. It doesn't it, isn't it obvious to you that tradition makes void the fifth commandment? I mean, think about that. Your, your parents are getting older and they need your financial help and your financial assistance or they're going to starve to death. And I say, well, I'm just going to write a check to the church and then I'm freed from my obligation to take care of you. That's what that tradition said that people could do. Is it not obvious to you that violates the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother? And when Jesus pointed that out to them, they didn't even seem to notice that. Once someone has accepted something outside of scripture, that will take over their lives. Look at verse one there, verses one and two. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Okay, stop there. What is this tradition of the elders? This, these are an extra biblical body of teachings that were passed down from the great rabbis and Jewish thinkers uh, through the centuries. And they were gathered together in a book that's called the Talmud. The Talmud uh, consists of 63 chapters or tractates, they're called. In printed form today, it's 6,200 pages of information. Many of the things contained in these writings were considered by the Jews to be divine in origin and on par with the Old Testament itself. 
Okay, and the Jews had constructed all kinds of extra rules to, to, get, to keep them from even getting close to, to so-called violations of the Ten Commandments. They didn't wash their hands for uh, sanitary reasons, but the reason they washed their hands like this, according to the Talmud, was, quote, for fear that the hands had brushed against a Gentile or against something belonging to a Gentile. Like walking through the marketplace, your hand might have brushed up against the cloak of a, of a Gentile. You've got you to gotta be purified from that. that. That might corrupt you. And of course, what did Jesus teach them? It's not what comes to you from the outside. It's what's already in there that makes you evil. It's what's in your heart that's, that makes you evil. One commentator said this, Jesus and his disciples observed the Levitical law, but disregarded the rabbinic tradition. Yet they did so, not because human customs as such are to be disregarded, but because the Pharisees considered the tradition as binding the conscience by divine authority, binding it even more severely than the written law of God, end quote. And that's the key here, dear ones. Listen, the scribes and Pharisees regarded these traditions as divinely inspired. They saw them on equal footing as the Bible itself, or even higher authority than the Bible itself. And Jesus is here going to bring up one of these divinely authoritative traditions about the, the Korban rule. What you would have used to take care of your parents in, the, in their old age, you give a little bit of money to the temple, you don't have to worry about your parents anymore. Jesus is going to bring that up and say, isn't it obvious that negates the fifth commandment? Look at verse 3. He answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? You see the contrast in Jesus' mind? You've you got to notice this about verse 3. The commandment of God and your tradition. In other words, your tradition came from you, not God. This commandment came from God. You see what he's saying? It has that unique authority. Verse 4. For God commanded, saying, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say... Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift from God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. What God commanded and what the scribes and Pharisees said clearly and emphatically contradict each other. They are in conflict with one another. And that's why Jesus says, you guys have negated the commandment of God for your tradition. Your tradition doesn't come from God. But the fifth commandment did. And here we have hypocrisy personified in the scribes and Pharisees. While they, on the basis of man-made traditions that have no authority at all, they pretend to find fault with the sinless Son of God. They themselves, by their traditions, have a very clear violation of a very simple and clear written commandment, the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. And here we see the blinding power of tradition. Once someone gives tradition that level of authority, it blinds them to the truth. It blinds them to what scripture says. Very sadly, once human beings invent, elevate, and accept something outside of Scripture as having divine authority, that something, whatever it is, if it's a church hierarchy or some tradition or some document, whatever that other thing is, that will become absolute and unquestioned. That will become the dominant authority in their life. More often than not, they will be completely blind to this fact. I've had many conversations, very sad conversations, with members of the Roman Catholic religion, members of the Eastern Orthodox religion, uh, in fact, I watched a guy apostatize. 
from a Presbyterian church and joined the Eastern Orthodox Church. I remember sitting there at Dunkin' Donuts and talking about the second commandment. What does the second commandment say? You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything in heaven above and the earth beneath, the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. I said, sir, you believe in making carved images and what do you guys do? You bow down to them. Well, that's not a violation of the second commandment. Why not? Well, because my church says it's not. Well, our tradition says it's not. I'm like, wow. Is that not illustrated here perfectly? This tradition, this Corban rule, whatever. Hey, mom and dad, hate, hate that you've fallen on hard times, but I wrote a check for $1,000 to church, so you guys are on your own. Would we not look at that as a great sin? No, you got to honor your father and mother. And that's what they were saying was divine. And Jesus says, for your tradition, you've destroyed the very commandments that God gave us. Once someone has abandoned sola scriptura, they'll believe anything. You see how important this truth is? We have to love this truth and stand for this truth. Notice that stirring rebuke. Look at um, verse 9 there. Or actually, let's look at, let's look at the, uh, um, the, the end of verse 5 through verse 9. Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Look at verse 6. Then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Verse 7. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Notice that in the mind of Jesus, when traditions or extra-biblical ideas are elevated to the realm of divine authority, we're no longer worshiping God. Even if we think we are. Look at verse 9 again, you see it? In vain they worship me. Is it possible to worship God in vain? Yes. How? By teaching as doctrines the mere commandments or traditions of men. When we believe doctrines that are not taught in Scripture, and we worship in ways that God has not commanded us to worship, our worship of God becomes void and vain, and we are not truly drawing near to God. We're only drawing near with our lips. But our hearts are somewhere else. Matthew 15, 1 through 9. This is Jesus' blueprint for judging all claims that people make for tradition. And when my Roman Catholic friends and Eastern Orthodox friends there in Ohio would tell me, no, 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 we're, we're not violating the second commandment when we make statues of Mary and bow down in front of them and light candles to them and pray with our eyes closed, rocking back and forth and rubbing rosary beads. We're, we're, we're not violating the second commandment. We're only venerating the stuff. We're not worshiping it. We're just venerating it. Folks, can you imagine someone in the camp of Israel who was caught bowing down to a statue of Abraham? If they were brought in front of Moses and they said, I wasn't worshiping that. I was just venerating it. And Moses would have said, yeah, we're not really stoning you either. We're just practicing calculus. When confronted with claims for divinely inspired traditions from God, our Lord Jesus Christ taught us, judge them by Scripture. Judge them by the plain meaning of Scripture. Nothing is on par with Scripture's authority. Scripture is over all of mankind, over all rabbis, all pastors, all reformers. It's over everything that we say or, or teach or think. Everything is under the sole authority of God speaking in Scripture. And the sheep of Christ will hear his divine voice in one and only one place, the Bible. So remember that Jesus subjected all traditions, even divinely claimed authority for them, 
to the higher authority of scripture. Now I want to give you some answers to some comebacks that you will hear. Okay, answering comebacks to the doctrine of sola scriptura. Number one, well, that's just your interpretation. This is a direct attack on the clarity of scripture. It's actually a direct attack on the adequacy of human language to communicate anything. Uh, my, my resp- if people say that, well, that's just your interpretation. My response is, what could be more obvious? Interpretation is unavoidable. Every form of communication that we receive is always interpreted. I want to here's a statement from scripture. David was king of Israel. How many possible interpretations of that are there? Could we interpret it? Well, here's three options. Solomon was king of Israel. Manasseh was king of Israel. And David was king of Israel. Well, what's the problem? Which one is correct? Is that a legitimate way of doing, of evaluating human language? Now, listen, every human being in the world believes in the adequacy of human language to communicate truth. When I was an undergrad, we, we talked about French deconstructionists. Anyone here ever studied that fun group? How every reading of a text is a misreading. And every word is misinterpreted. No matter what you write, there is no objective meaning to anything. And I was there listening to this going, except the books you wrote to tell us this? For example, when I tell my kids, lights out at 8.30, it's not an acceptable interpretation that I meant nine. Everyone who talks and writes and thinks believes in the adequacy of human language to communicate truth. Even the people who write books and sentences trying to say that language has no meaning. It's like sawing off the branch you're sitting on, isn't it? In fact, God believes in the adequacy of language to communicate truth. You know how we know that? You know how we know that that's a fact? Because how did Jesus correct error? Haven't you read what Moses said? And then he quotes it. Haven't you read what David did? Have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? Jesus held his hearers individually accountable for having not only read the Bible, but for having understood it correctly. It's a sin to misinterpret the Bible. Roman Catholic religions, religion, a thousand other cults, they've insisted for centuries. We all need an infallible interpreter of scripture. And God supposedly gave us that infallible interpreter in their religious hierarchy. The problem with this, of course, is that you have to interpret the pronouncements of your infallible interpreter, don't you? And what if y'all disagree on what he meant? Do we need an infallible interpreter of the infallible interpreter? You can go online right now and listen to and read the writings of Roman Catholic theologians debating what Vatican II meant by this phrase and this phrase and this phrase. What do we do? The fact is God speaks and he does so clearly and he expects us to understand and obey him. And our Lord said over and over to the people, haven't you read? Have you not read? Have you not read? And they could not have responded to him by saying, but Lord, you never gave us an infallible interpreter of the Bible. How could we have known what it meant? He expected them to have read it and to have understood it. Also, if you, you know, if, if Rome, if Roman Catholicism is one of your options just this past week, uh, <clears throat> the Vatican's doctrinal office said transgender people can under certain circumstances be baptized in the Catholic Church and serve as godparents. Quote, even if they have undergone, undergone hormone therapy and sex reassignment surgery, end quote. Such baptisms and trans people being godparents are acceptable provided there is no risk of scandal. That's, that's the infallible voice of God on earth. Give me Romans 8 over that nonsense any day of the week. Point number two, another comeback. 
Protestant doctrine of Sola Scriptura has resulted in over 25,000 Protestant denominations. Sola Scriptura is an utter failure. We can simply point out in response to this, the principle of Scripture plus an infallible interpreter has resulted in an even greater number of religious cults. This argument is comparing apples and oranges, congregation. They're comparing a denomination with a rule of faith. The reason there are so many Protestant denominations has absolutely nothing to do with the doctrine of Sola Scriptura. The reason there are so many denominations is because of not practicing Sola Scriptura. And if everybody practiced Sola Scriptura, and if everyone was objective and humble before God, everyone would be a Presbyterian, right? I'm kind of joking there. <laughs> Every one of us should always be willing to learn to subject our traditions, our interpretations to the scrutiny and review of scripture. You know, and I'll tell you, the day that I get to the point that I think so highly of all that I've read and studied that someone in church can't say, now you said this and the passage says this, and if I can't be corrected by that, then shame on me. A few Protestants are, are willing to do that. In fact, at times, at times in my own experience, it seems that a lot of Protestants are just as dogmatic, closed-minded, and unteachable about their own traditions that they grew up with and what they're comfortable with as the staunchest of Roman Catholics. And if we're not willing to be under the authority of Scripture and teachable and correctable from Scripture, are we really that different from them? We suffer from sloth and laziness and we're attached to what we're comfortable with. Bible study is tough work. How does Hebrews describe the Bible? Like a sharp two-edged sword? Have you ever felt beat up after reading the Bible? We should on a regular basis. It takes a lot of time, discernment, discipline. Few in the modern church have the stomach for that. Why would we do that when we can binge watch some goofy show on Netflix, right? And hence, we remain divided. However, when you consider the, the Protestant denominations that came out of the Reformation that really did try to practice Sola Scriptura, the degree of unity that they have is astonishing to see. Their confessions of faith are very similar on the key issues of grace and the personal work of Christ and how we're justified before God. Those churches that love the word of God and submit to it and are willing to be reformed and corrected by the word of God have always been far more united than any groups that practice scripture plus an infallible interpreter of scripture. I mean, let's just off the top of my head, three, three groups that practice scripture plus an infallible interpreter, Rome, Mormons, and Jehovah's Witnesses. Different God, different Jesus, Different gospel. Let's think about the Reformed tradition, the Continental Reformed tradition, the, uh, the Reformed tradition, the Presbyterian historic tradition, um, and let's say the, the Church of England, the 39 Articles of the Church of England. Same God, same Jesus, same gospel, same way of salvation. And we all tried to practice Sola Scriptura. Okay, point number three. One key text that is often misused. You all need to remember this one. You need to know how to answer this. 2 Thessalonians 2.15. Key passage. It says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Tim Staples was a convert to Roman Catholicism, and he wrote a chapter in a book I have in my library that was actually given uh, to me by a Roman Catholic friend trying to convert me to Catholicism. The book's called Surprised by Truth. Eleven converts give the biblical and historical reasons for becoming Catholic. And Tim Staples wrote this, quote, until Matt and I began to hammer away at Sola Scriptura, I hadn't noticed the Bible's positive discussion of traditions. For example, Paul commanded the first Christians to stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught, whether by an oral statement or by a letter of ours. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says Staples, 
Here, Paul says that the divine revelation comes to us in both written and oral form, and both are equally binding, end quote. How would you answer that? What's his assumption? What's his assumption? His assumption is what was spoken differs in doctrinal content from what's written in Scripture. That's his assumption. Contrary to Staples and other Roman Catholics, notice what the text of 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says. There is one and only one body of truth that was delivered in two ways. Not two distinct bodies of doctrine delivered in two distinct ways. What was written and what was preached are identical to each other. One body of teaching, not two. Not two separate and distinct bodies of doctrine. What did Paul teach the Thessalonians orally and in writing? The gospel. That's what he's telling them to hold fast to. He is not, hear me, he is not, he is not telling them to hold to some mysterious verbal only traditions that would never be written down. And the way I've heard this passage misused is this. I have heard and read Roman Catholic theologians and apologists say, this is where Paul taught the Thessalonians about the papacy, purgatory, indulgences, and the doctrines about Mary. Historically speaking, such claims are perfectly false. Perfectly false. Now, how could opponents of Sola Scriptura destroy our doctrine of Sola Scriptura? How could they just wipe us out in a debate? Show us something else as God breathed. I've made that challenge to many of them. Show me something else. Do you guys know of anything that Jesus or the apostles ever said or taught that's not found in Scripture? I am all ears. Please tell me. What, what is it? In a debate with noted Jesuit Scholar, Father Mitchell Pacwa, on the doctrine of scripture, Dr. James White, asked him this question directly in cross-examination. After Pacwa cited 2 Thessalonians 2.15, White asked him this, Father Pacwa, given your denial of sola scriptura as the sole source of what Jesus and the apostles taught, can you tell us a single word that Jesus or the apostles said or taught that is not found in the New Testament? And Pacwa leaned back and thought about it for a moment, and so help me, he said, no, I cannot, we have not defined anything. Bates over. We don't know. They don't know of anything that Jesus or the apostles ever said or taught. A good Protestant apologist, Eric Svensson, wrote this, quote, Catholic apologists often cite this passage, John 20, verse 30, as proof of an oral tradition not written in Scripture. But if this constitutes proof for non-inscripturated apostolic oral tradition, then it also provides proof that Rome has not held to that apostolic tradition, for Rome has not preserved any deeds or sayings of Jesus outside of the scriptures that are considered authoritative and binding, end quote. Here's the key point. Denials, listen please, here's the key thing you've got to walk away with. Denials of sola scriptura and the claims that are made for knowing traditions or teachings from the apostles that, that Christ gave to the church that were never written down, those always, always prove to be empty claims. Those that make those claims need to be forced to produce these unwritten traditions. And if you can't produce them, then withdraw the claim that you have them. When people cite 2 Thessalonians 2.15 as proof against Sola Scriptura, insist, ask them. So are you saying that what he taught them orally differs in doctrinal content from what we have in Scripture? Are you saying he taught them things that we don't have anywhere in Scripture? If so, what are they? What are these things? I also want to point out to you, y'all probably get sick of me saying this. Rome's claims about this are not new. You know, the very same claims were made by heretics in the early church. Irenaeus, Irenaeus of Lyon wrote these words. 
sometime between 182 and 188 AD. Listen to what he says here. This is in his book Against Heresies, quote, talking about his opponents. Such then is their system, which neither the prophets announced nor the Lord taught, nor the apostles delivered, but of which they boast that beyond all others they have a perfect knowledge of. They gather their views from other sources than the scriptures. When, however, they are refuted from scripture, they turn around and accuse these same scriptures as if they were not correct, nor of authority, and assert that they are ambiguous, and that the church and that the truth cannot be extracted from scripture by those who are ignorant of tradition. He wrote that between 182 and 188 AD. And he says this, For they allege that the truth was not delivered by means of written documents, but by oral tradition, end quote. There is nothing new under the sun. Rome's arguments against Sola Scriptura are not new. They are very, very old. And that claim that people outside the church made, we have more, we have more, we have this inspired tradition, they were classified as Gnostic heretics and discarded. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 is simply an exhortation to an early congregation. Hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the message that was delivered to you. Now, in conclusion, soul scriptura is a vital truth, dear ones. It truly is. Don't let anyone take that precious truth from you by smooth words of flattery and deceit. And there are many people today who are enamored by the infallible fuzzies. People like to hand over their responsibility for what they believe to others. And authoritarian groups who provide this alleged infallibility in their hierarchies, they're a dime a dozen. Rome is not the only one. Remember what the Lord Jesus said about his sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. The sheep of Christ listen to the voice of Christ and they hear that voice only in the pages of inspired scripture. None of us are infallible, but God is. And there are many errors that men can make. Some are more serious than others. But listen, please. The greatest error men can make, the greatest error men can make is to think themselves incapable of error. And that's what Rome has done. Rome has exempted herself from the scrutiny of Scripture. She has exempted herself from the possibility of being wrong about anything. The true church of Christ listens to the voice of Christ and is always reformed by it. We love and practice Sola Scriptura by submitting ourselves, submitting our hearts, submitting our actions, priorities, and our beliefs to the only authority that there is that's God-breathed, and that's Scripture. And so in closing, the most famous speech that Martin Luther made in his life was at the famous Diet of Worms, where he was asked to recant his writings. And Roland Bainton records the final speech against Luther by the guy that was interviewing him in front of the Holy Roman Emperor and all those princes and all this pomp and circumstance. And there's Luther standing there with a table covered with all of his books. And Eck said to Luther, I ask you, Martin, answer candidly. Do you or do you not repudiate your books and the errors which they contain? And Luther said this, Since then, your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, I will answer. Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have often contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. My prayer is that all of us who name the name of Christ will always and forever have consciences that are captive to the word of God. And may God grant all of us 
a passion for his holy word, and a new reformation that will bring the greatest revival of truth and conversions in the history of time. That will happen only when the people of God become saturated once again with the written word of God. For the written word of God alone, the scripture alone, is God-breathed. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for giving us your holy word. May we love this precious truth of sola scriptura. The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy you. May we always be under its authority, its scrutiny, its correction, and may we rejoice in the truths it teaches to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.